Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What's up, everyone? It is Going Off Track. I am Steven with Jonah and Brad. Buenos dias, as they say. We have a fantastic episode for you today. One I really enjoyed doing. I really enjoyed listening to again. And I think you guys are going to dig it. Our very good friend, Pete J.R. Wazalewski, the saxophonist from Less Than Jake, the, the longest ska band in history. Actually, they're not, but they've been around for a long-ass time. And Pete is a good, good dude. You know him as J.R. if you're a fan of the band. He came and sat down with us. Uh, I also want to mention, before I forget, we have a fabulous tab on our great website called Donate. So if you like the podcast and want to support us, go ahead and click on that tab and it will take you to an area where you can uh, send some dough to us. We put it right back into the podcast. And at some point, we're going to hook it up to a deal where we can send you a shirt or some stickers or some pins or things that we have now lying around. We gave them to our Kickstarter donors and uh, Brad put together a sick logo. Maybe you've seen it on the website. But also, uh, please head over to our Facebook page if you want to leave comments about podcast we don't have a comment section on the website because as jonah puts it they lower the bar of humanity yeah you can save your weird racist comments for youtube because <laughs> <laughs> it is the worst <laughs> sorry i feel like i always say this but it's like it it and does. i always read them yeah <laughs> I of course you do. dude I used, to, I used to do that I, and the thing is that's the one that sticks they're all most people are really positive and nice. Then you find one. You're a scumbag. Well, now I want to start a war with you or write something back. Right, right. You're really angry and, and it, it does no good for anyone. So um, we're now uh, now that where we live. Power is all back for everyone. I, th- I think one of the happier moments was watching my wife be thrilled when the Fios guy came two days early <laughs> so that we could stop watching Elmo videos on Apple TV ad nauseum. She's like, I have to watch something with a person and not a red monster. It has to happen. But this has nothing to do with Bar Rescue, Jonah Bear. So, uh, Bar Rescue, are you guys familiar with the show? No. Nope. Um, it's on Spike TV. And um, basically it's this guy, John Taffer. He looks like a linebacker. He's this really huge dude who's like a bar expert. And he goes into bars and is like, this place is disgusting. Like he he sends in his wife and then like the bar's always really shitty and it always has a weird theme. Like it's like 
weird strippers or like a pirate bar, just like failing bars. And he goes in with his Wait group a minute, of experts. pirate bars? Yes, there's a pirate theme bar. Oh, I'd like um, to go there. <laughs> is it hard to get in? <laughs> and I was going to say bar, but, uh, <laughs> but I didn't. And then you did. And I was like, I can do it. But uh, so he's, but he's like super aggressive. He's sort of like modeling himself after Gordon Ramsay, I feel like, where he's like just kind of gets in people's faces and yells. So I've become obsessed with this show. And like, he'll be like, and I've started to talk like him. Like he always, <laughs> so anyways, he's really big on premium cocktails. Like he'll go into the shitty bar, the like sponsored by Grand Marnier's. He is the show. So he'll be like, we got a chilled Grand Marnier shot. And it's like, dude, like look at this bar. Like you think anyone's going to order a chilled shot of Grand Marnier? <laughs> but I started t- following him on Twitter and tweeting at him. Cause I was like, this dude uh, will probably write me back. So first I <laughs> tweeted at him from the United Nations account. And he said something about Polly Shore, and I was like, he's friends with Polly Shore, I guess, and he's promoted Polly Shore's thing. And I was like, dude, even you couldn't rescue that dude's career. You're better than that. And he wrote back, Polly's my friend. I stand by my friends. And I was like, okay. <laughs> dude, serious. And I wrote back, I was like, all right, I respect that. Then during the hurricane, he's always talking about premium cocktails. He's like, premium cocktails. Like, so I was, we need a classic clientele. So I was like, John, what's your favorite premium cocktail to enjoy during a hurricane? And he wrote back, Johnny Walker Black. Okay. So fast forward a couple days later, uh, I'm watching Sudden Law with my roommate. <laughs> like you do. Like I do. And I had actually just heard Polly Shore on Ari Shafir's podcast. And I was like, I didn't know his mom ran like that. Mitzi Shore. Mitzi Shore yep. ran that comedy club. And he grew up there and she dated all these comics. And yep. I was like, I was like, Polly Shore actually not kind of like... The one. As douchey just Yeah, I was like actually yeah. like a legit comedian, like had this really interesting kind of crazy life. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like and I felt kind of bad about that comment. So I've tweeted Polly Shore, um, hey, like watching Son in Law totally stands up, which it does. Did you do any of your own stunts during the farm scenes? And he writes me back right away and is like, Awesome man, like that was such a fun movie to make. So didn't answer my question at all. But still, I was like, man, like this guy seems like pretty cool. He's connected to John Taffer. I watch way too much TV is sort of the end result of this story. It's a wonderful six degrees. That's the cool but thing about Twitter is people you can like. It's that, And that blew my mind. I was like, dude, I'm sitting watching this Polly Shore movie. I've never met this dude. I'm writing something on my phone. He's getting it and responding to me across the Like, that's. In, like it really like sort yeah. of hit me it's like you get so ingrained in these technologies and it's like i like just sat back for a second i was like this is fucking crazy <laughs> yeah yeah there's no there's there's no six degrees between Polly shore and me now it's it just happened yeah so, I, I, when i went to see uh i had to go or i went and saw get him to the greek in the theater because i actually like russell brand i think he's very funny i do too and but the movie the movie's not that great but uh sean combs <laughs> Diddy, <laughs> uh, Sean Combs steals the movie. He's the funniest thing in the movie. Yeah. So I write on Twitter, uh, Diddy steals, get him to the Greek. He's hilarious. Uh, a little while later, uh, I am Diddy RT. Diddy steals his movie. He's hilarious. At Stephen Smith says, like he he retweeted me. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. You know that that's like one of my favorite comedy movies. Get him to the Greek. Oh. Love it. Although, let, let me say this about that. Um, I feel like it's 
a little bit weird when people retweet compliments that people give them. Like, I feel like it's, I don't know if it's like an insecurity thing or an ego thing, but I feel like sometimes when it's like, you're great, you're great, and it's like retweet, retweet, retweet. <laughs> it's, I don't know, like, I feel like if you're responding to something, it's one thing, or once in a while, but I feel like it's, don't you feel like that's kind of a weird, yeah, what's the it, dynamic it, with that? If it's a lot, I guess it's weird. I, I, it's, I like the reverse. I don't have an answer for you, but that when comedians always retweet someone saying, talking shit about them. Yes, I like that. I like that for a sure. lot. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's it's a good thing. Um Pete from Less Than Jake, his Twitter is less than at less than JR. At oh. less than JR. And he may retweet you if you send him a compliment. Yeah, he probably will. He's a great, great dude, and I think you're gonna dig us talking to him. It's going on I'm not a jazz fan. I don't discount it, but like jazz is so notoriously shit on it's the just, ultimate punk rock it it's really punk is before punk was punk. so punk and they play their asses off mm-hmm. like if you go to you don't what know what they're playing but boy they fucking can play like if you go to yeah. and, and they they'll, know that's and they'll play question. it again they'll yeah. play the same thing again no for no like, they don't no you're talking about freeform jazz or no, stuff they talking about jazz. you're I'm talking about fusion sometime mm. if you're really um you're, you're never bored you have two kids but sometime when you're really bored sure. you can listen ornette coleman or like uh Don Cherry, that was Nana Cherry's father. Don oh yeah, Cherry, yeah. Right, who named his child Eagle Eye? Yeah, well, he was. Um, <laughs> but those guys play um, avant-garde jazz, and it is like it basically sounds. You might as well take a bunch of pots and pans, give them to the girls, and let them throw them against the floor because that's what it sounds like at times. Just like there's no really time or meter or form, and they just kind of like Coltrane did this record called Ascension. Which was like one of the last things that he did. He did it. It's considered like his fucking greatest musical piece, and it's forty minutes long. And they recorded it twice live. It's just you don't even know what's going on. It's like starts off it's like <laughs> just like this is the worst thing I've ever heard. In my on, life. The, on the second this John Coltrane this on the, the second recording, did they did they do it exactly like the first one? Because that read, would have impressed me. No, I mean I've read stories, and I think Elvin Jones was the drummer, and I he said they said that after he did it, it was like. Each take was like 45 minutes. So it's not like a little song by any means. And they said that after he did the second take, he just went outside and like passed out on the ground or whatever. Because they just, you know, just took every ounce of his soul out of him. Oh, and it was in the 50s at that studio in New Jersey that's all fucking like, you could still go there where Blue Note recorded everything, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rudy Van Gelder was the guy who recorded all that stuff. You might notice there's a different type of uh, musician and artistry coming out of the mouth of our guest than normally we get. From bands, but this gentleman also knows his punk rock like the back of his hand. Our guest today is Pete Wazalewski, aka oh, Jr. Oh, this is recording from oh, Less Than Jake. <laughs> Woo! Yes. So thank Who? you very much for joining us. What? Who? What Le- band? Less Than Jake. Oh yeah. Do meaning, you know? Meaning we- there was a Jake, and this Jake is slightly less. Do you than know that they put on the marquee the other day Less Than T H E N Jake, the wow. venue that we've played multiple times. And we've only been a band for uh, 20 years, you know. Was Les spelled L-E-S, though? No, it was actually spelled correctly, it was, but it's T-H-E-N. Because then it could be just be, you know, two guys, one well, after the other. Yeah, Les, Les and then comma, Jake. then Jake. Did, did they ever combine it and it's Les 10 Jake? Yeah, Les, Les 10 Jake. Yeah, man, look, they always, it, it's never right, you know. They're always like, who's Jake? The singer. Our singer's name is Jake. I will have to say that you are the first uh, brass player we've had 
nice. on the podcast. You'll be bummed to know that I'm a woodwind player, though. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Oh, damn cool, it. Though. Crap. What's the difference? Reed. Reed. It's a Reed. Yes. Fuck me. I knew that. See? I knew that, and I You're said getting there. You're I was going to say woodwind. You're usually good with this stuff. Yeah, but you know what's strange is that if you play the flute, that's also woodwind, but it has no wood. Right. Yeah, I don't know, man. I didn't make up the rules. I'm just following them. Aren't there wooden flutes? There have to be. Yeah, they're called recorders. Ah, yes, yeah. the recorder. Mm-hmm. You never see that. <laughs> you never see that tossing that out in a ska band. I actually used a recorder on one record that we just did. Really? A little while ago, we did a cover of SpongeBob SquarePants, and at the end, it's little recorder at the end the, on the original thing. And I'm like, well, I guess somebody's gonna have to play it. That's nice. gonna be me. So you're you're so. a you're a full on musician. Yeah, you, you went I'm to multifaceted and everything. You went to Berkeley, I even know what that means. Berkeley School, the one up in Boston. Yep, Berkeley College of Music. I Where, graduated too. What? That's very rare. I did a five week guitar summer class there <laughs> yeah. once, and they, everyone I met there was like, "We go here for like a year or two to meet other musicians and start a band, start Dream Theater or whatever." Yeah, yeah. When I sat there, I was like, the, the first day when you're a freshman, they're like, "Okay, look to your left." Look to your right. You know, most schools, they go, look to your left, look to your right. You won't graduate, that guy. They go, go, look to your left, look to your right. Now look behind you, look in front of you, look down the aisle. None of these people will be next to you when you graduate. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. Now, did so. you go when John Mayer was there? Who? Yeah, exactly. Never heard of the guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe I did. I, pro- I think I did. I must have, like, just looking at the years. Um, but nobody really... It's really strange because everybody's so introverted there because they're all musicians or pretending to be musicians, you know, that they think that part of being a musician is like they need to dress weird, cut their hair weird, you know, smoke weed and be really antisocial. And so it makes it increasingly difficult to, like, make friends, you know. So the fact that I had any friends from that school was shocking. I had more friends from outside of that school than I had in the school. Just Did you start a band, like, immediately? Were you in bands before school? Yeah, I was in a band. And it was strange because... Um, they were like, <laughs> I'd gig every weekend and all of these guys that were like far superior musicians to me were like, you know, jerking off in the dorm room and they're like, Oh man, I should play the sky music, man. I bet I could really get down on that. Cat. <laughs> and I was like, dude, you could just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, go right ahead. You know, go would ahead. you frequent little Stevie's pizza? I would actually. Me too. Um, until I got the shits. Yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> it happens. You know what? And I just went there the, like recently. Okay. Um, maybe within the last six months and it's completely redone. Remember it was all like dirty and dingy. It was dingy. dirty. There were like video games in the corner and it was like, I went there, I was like 17. I would go there like every night and eat pizza and like looking back, I was like, that place was kind of scary. Yeah. It's totally sketchy. Now it's completely like gentrified. It's amazing. Uh, really yeah. nice. It happens. Yeah. Well, so you're from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Born, born or raised. Born, raised. And, uh, and how did you get introduced to uh, the woodwinds? Not um, brass. Fuck that. I had this <laughs> when I was in fifth grade. I wanted to play. I think it was around that time. Fifth grade. They're like, "Yeah, you should play an instrument." I was like, "Yeah." I played <laughs> piano, and I really wanted to play saxophone. So I went with my parents to the. They had like the night at the elementary school where everybody came and they had all the instruments, you know, opened and you could look at them and rent them, and uh, they fucking. I go, I want to play the saxophone. Like, we're out of saxophones. But here, you should play this clarinet. It's really close. And I was, you know, nine and easily susceptible to people's, you know, suggestions. So I went with a clarinet. And I fucking hated the clarinet. It was the worst. And I think I hated my teacher more than I hated the clarinet. Well, at least they didn't um, hand you the oboe. Yeah, well, that was like, years later, I 
played that, and that's just like I would have lost my. I I don't think they let you play oboe until you're in like the seventh grade. That's because of the high suicide rate. Of yeah, just making the read of, yeah. and making the sound makes yeah. you want to kill somebody. It sounds like a duck with AIDS. Can you say that? Yeah. Oh, okay. You say whatever you want. Well, yeah. I, again, duck with AIDS. I don't know how the duck <laughs> contracted. I didn't know. I think it's conquack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not five minutes in. <laughs> that gets a round of applause. Thank you. Thank Man, you. That's Good. great. All right. Let me put that on the chalkboard. Yeah. You can edit that out. But I think today. you should just have that like a thousand times. It's ridiculous the amount. It's awesome. God, I'm gonna, that's great. That uh, is great. Yeah, thank you. Thank, you. thank, you. thank you. you. So you start on the clarinet, and when did you finally be? Seventh grade. Seventh grade, got mm-hmm. the saxophone. And uh, which saxophone was it? Because I know there's a saxophone. gazillion. Hmm? It's tenor sax. Tenor, okay. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're playing now? That's what I currently play. Yep. Um, that's what they tell me I should play. They tried to get me to switch when I joined Less Than Jake because they had a baritone saxophone player prior to me, but I always thought it um, sounded muddy. You what know? does that mean? Like when it with this different, you know, tones, just different tones. So it's more buttons. Mm, no, same amount of buttons. It's just a lower, um, lower register. So in, instead of it sounding all high and awesome, it sounds all low and muddy, which is also cool, you know, but, um, not when you're playing with two trombone players at the time. It wasn't right. cool. So, I think the first introduction to saxophone that I had as a kid was like Springsteen. Yeah. And then Clarence. NXS. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. And yep. I remember the video for Need You Tonight, the extended one. They had that yeah, song. Yeah, they had the dude playing the... Mediate. Yeah. And it came out and they had the sign that said sax solo. And I'm like, what the hell is that? That doesn't look like a sax. <laughs> yeah. It's like what a... is that? It was like a soprano or yeah, something? Yeah, that's good. Wow. You, did you do like some research before? No, I usually up? I don't screw up shit at the beginning and oh, say brass good. when I mean woodwind. That was good though. Sopra- Not many people know that it's soprano saxophone, man. That's... Yes. You're showing some skills right now. Probably looked it up. Yeah, it's good. Because then, then I remember seeing uh, Fishbone a thousand years ago. Yeah, man. When it had the the first lineup. <laughs> yeah. And when Angelo, they were awesome. And Angelo came out playing a saxophone that was the size of him. That was his, I think his it's called a double bass saxophone. Okay. It was probably at the time maybe Tiger Striped or something like that. That's gigantic. Yeah. He's the guy that really made me want to play a horn for real like i saw them in primus when i was like 16 i saw that tour yeah it was awesome was for reality of my surroundings right? yeah man that guy was they were that was when they were probably that was the peak of them being just awesome they were phenomenal angelo was jumping off things and mm-hmm. right throwing his gu- horns right and, before the guitar player left and joined whatever before cult. they kidnapped him yeah before they kidnapped him back yeah, and went back to the cult yeah man oh fishbone yeah. um now when so your plan is so you're living in connecticut yes. and your plan you finally got your saxophone in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. What music were you gravitating towards? Um, at, when I was in middle school, I was a really big hip-hop fan, believe it or not. Huge. I think it was just because it was really popular at the time, and it was also very... It was completely opposite of heavy metal, which I thought was kind of... Which I liked, but I kind of went through my metal phase in like a year and a half. By the time I hit eighth grade, I wanted... And it was a new music form, hip-hop, you know? And it, I think now... Versus then, then everybody had their own sound. Everybody looked different. They all had their own thing that they were talking about, you know, and it was very um, small group of dudes that were doing it. How'd you get into metal at eighth grade? I was, I mean, I'm still ridiculously uncool, but even then, eighth grade, I was like, this 5150 record's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know what? It was that, um, does the... uh, Illusion. That really turned me off. The double 
Guns N' Roses record, I was like, fuck you. Yeah, this is too much. Half of them are crap. Yeah. That was like 91. You were like, I'm over metal. It was Chinese Democracy 1 and 2, you know? <laughs> I was just like, man, you know? It, I don't know. It was, and everything kind of tar- started turning really shitty. Like, when you had Britney Fox in the top 10, like, I knew that it was time to run away. Hurricane, you Trickster. Know? Nelson. In mm. contrast, our singer Chris, he is the biggest metalhead you could ever meet and not only does he know and own all of the trickster catalog he could tell you um who produced the records what the minor hits were off of it like that kind of shit and i that's unfortunate yeah it's really unfortunate <laughs> because then he plays it too and his, his whole ipod is full of stuff that you don't like that's um, yeah. <laughs> just it's a good way to keep people away from your ipod yeah, it's a good way to keep his ipod hidden too just take it <laughs> So you're into hip-hop, yeah. so mm-hmm. uh, hip-hop, and then how did you get drawn into SKA? Um, <clears throat> strange story, because I was into hip-hop, and then as I got a little bit older, when I got into high school, like I started listening to more um, punk rock, you know? Because to be honest with you, it was the Beastie Boys that got me into punk rock, because they were into this band called the Bad Brains, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember reading MCA saying, this record is amazing, and so I... Checked out this Bad Brains record, and I thought that was awesome. And Which the Ramones were always a uh, an influence, but I never knew that they were a punk band until, like, later. Because when I was, like, seven or eight, WPIX was a TV station in New York, Channel 11, and they played Rock and Roll High School. And I thought that was the coolest fuck. I thought Joey Ramone was the coolest guy walking. I remember when you know, I was 13 the, There's this whole thing that. where he eats pizza, like, you know. Oh, yeah. So, I knew <laughs> I knew who the Ramones were, I was into, but I never thought they were punk. They were mm. just like a cool band of rock guys because they wore leather jackets, so they mm. were rockers, you know. Um. So, anyways, <clears throat> listen to this Bad Brains record. I thought it was... Which record was it? Um, it was the first record, just Bad Brains. Okay. You know, Band in, was it Band in DC? Is that what it's called? I get no, just the first, the first Bad Brains record is just Bad Brains. The yellow yeah. one with the... That's Rock for Light. Is that the first yellow record? yellow one's Rock... That's where it gets confusing, because they have, like, the black dots... The, the one that has that. Attitude on it. Oh, then I don't know. Yeah, it's the first record. Okay. Like, the, the, their first, first record. Yeah. And I had it on vinyl, because that's where I found it, some shitty record store. Uh, um, so I listened to it, and I was like, wow, this is kind of crappy. I don't get it, you know? And then uh, when I was working at this place in high school, this guy said to me, oh, uh... I was like 16, and the guy said, oh, I play in a ska band. I'm like, who's Scott? <laughs> he, goes, <laughs> he goes, no, dude, ska, S-K-A. And I was like, oh, ska. I don't know what that is. He's like, well, it's kind of like reggae. Um, anyways, we have a horn section. You play saxophone. Do you want to play? And I was like, sure. So I went to rehearsal and showed up. And, you know, we were in high school. What was the name of the band? We were called JC Super Ska. Wow, is there anyone else in that band I may know? Yeah, my friend uh, Mike Woods, he was in a band up till recently called Damone. Mm-hmm. They're a pretty good band. My friend Anthony, who was playing in the Libertines, and he played in Dirty Pretty Things, and he lives in London now. He's just crazy. Was he in the Pilfers? No. no. I, I no. All, we all kind of... Wasn't Matt from Angels and Airwaves in yes. 30 Seconds to Mars? Matt from Angels and Airwaves. Well, not, yeah, it's Angels and Airwaves now. Yeah. He was in there for a little bit. Matt was in there for a little while. He was our bass player man, for a while. Bringing that up to Matt. He's like, dog. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, man. He was, uh, he was one of my first, my only friends from college. 
one of the first and only people that I met at college, and we've been friends to this day, you know, so. J.C. Um, Super Scott. Yeah, man. That was, a, that was an interesting time, you know. It was fun to Scott has to be in the name somewhere. At that time, yeah. But there was only two Scott bands in the whole state of Connecticut at that time. I mean, and it wasn't like a popular music form in 91, 92, 91. Yeah. So there was two ska bands. It was JC Super Ska and then the band that I ended up joining after that was Spring Hill Jack. Right. So I was in the two ska bands from Connecticut That's at the time. That's, That's how old I am. I'm so old. <laughs> I originated a scene. That's right. <laughs> I love that there's just two in the whole state. Yeah, in the entire state. And then, they, you know, there's ones afterwards or whatever, but those don't count. So you were playing these bands and going to school. So you, you mm-hmm. committed. I was, I knew that this is what I was going to do somehow. I didn't know how exactly. When I decided I was going to go to music school, that's when I was like, yeah, this is something. I could see myself doing this. But I didn't know how I was going to get there. Do they you know? make you play everything and learn everything? I always, whenever people say they go to school for music, they always okay. I learned you learn theory, and that just sounds you know, like impressive. Sight when singing I, theory, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. You would know better than me. I, my parents, my father specifically, he was a very conservative guy. Worked, moved out of his house when he was sixteen, but he started working. You know, he's also a funeral director, so that's like a different thing altogether. And I had said to him, "Gee, I, I think I want to study music." And I remember the day I was like, mom, dad, I'm going to go to, I want to go to college, study music. He goes, go to your room. We got to talk. And my mother and him had a talk. And I think it was a very short conversation because he was like, what the hell am I supposed to do here? Send this kid to (laughs) money to go do what? Play his what? Come on. You know? So I was like. Stupid clarinet ruined everything. (laughs) No, for real. So I went into the other room and I can't, I heard him, you know, and I quick opened the booklet from Berkeley and I said, brought it back out i'm like music education i'll be a teacher that's a real job job has benefits benefits means you have a real job mm-hmm. real job means my father won't bust my balls so i was like i'll go to school for education and at the end of it you said he bought it he did i told <laughs> well it's like i've always been able to tuck myself into situations and then when i get into the situation i'm like fuck i guess i gotta you know do something <laughs> here so I started doing the education thing and it was, they, I did, I'm glad that I took that as a, uh, rather than like, there's other things like performance and songwriting and, but I already knew how to, you know, if you don't know how to play your instrument, then why are you in college music school? So performance to me doesn't make any sense. Songwriting. I mean, what are they going to do to teach you how to write a song? Like the best songwriters, historically speaking, never took a songwriting course. You know what I mean? So, whoa, and probably couldn't I? read music. Yeah, and so I mean, like, I'm not gonna. I wasn't gonna be fucking. You know, give me some popular songwriter, Justin Bieber. I wasn't gonna be Justin Bieber. He writes his own songs, right? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure totally. he does. Yeah, Tur- totally. Sure no. yeah. So yeah, I wasn't gonna be him, and I wasn't going to um, be a composer or like a. I wasn't into production or engineering or anything like that. So, so. you took you took the education classes to yeah. teach, mm-hmm. and it was very helpful, actually. And ba- based on what how I've seen you talk and hang out with bands at Warp Tour, you did become a teacher. Somewhat. Just not really music. Life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Life teacher's easier than music teacher, I think. For those of you who've been to Warp Tour and know that there are the the shall we say old school bands of Warp Tour and then the younger bands, mm-hmm. when the buses pull up in the parking lot, there is a line and very few cross that line. You know, like like you're just not gonna be a young band and walk over and hang out 
in the circle of chairs of the barbecue. Yeah, we call it no the circle effects. of love. Most yeah. people call it the circle of hate, but yeah. I call it the circle of love. Because yeah, all you guys sit around there and talk about all the bands you hate. It's a great place to be if you're yeah. welcomed in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that there's like the newer bands and now there's like the newer, newer bands. Like I feel like to me, like, Taking Back Sunday, Thursday, all those bands That's, seem like they're the new bands. They're, they're those not are new like bands the old anymore. school. Like, yeah. But they were new bands. Yeah. And now that Newfound Glory is a old school band, Which makes is, me go, well, then what the fuck are we? Totally. You know? And then I look at Bad Religion and I go, well, they, oh, what are they? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if, we're, if they're old school, we must be Fossils. old, old school. <laughs> and those guys must be, like, dead. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Great grandparents or something? Like, sorry, Greg Graffin. Don't worry, he's not listening. So maybe he might be. We'll send it to Jay. Jay will spread it around. Jay Bentley. Um, uh, but you you would cross the line. You would go hang out with young bands, and you would go yeah. watch and see younger bands. Oh, yeah. A lot of the older bands, they just didn't care. They wouldn't yeah. do it. Or they'd find someone to make fun of, which also has its value. Yes. Yeah, I felt like I just remember Fat Mike just making fun of everyone well, that's what he, on that tour. But that's what he does. Yes. That's yes. absolutely I, what he does. But I do feel like there was kind of like a... Not a dividing line, but I did feel like it, there weren't a lot of people in your position who would be like, I'm going to see, check out. I feel like a lot of bands would kind of, we're older, we're going to go golf or hang out on the bus or whatever. Well, that's what we wanted to do, though. That was kind of our, we were the, somehow we got grandfathered in with the old school dudes, you know, and whether it's because we just were on the tour a bunch or because we were old, we didn't, you know, we liked those guys anyways, so we were stoked on it. But then, you know, Vinny ran a record label for a long time. Um, and then he ran, a, you know, he started another label. And part of being on a record label is having bands that you sign and that are new bands. And we would take those bands out on tour with us. So I would make friends with those guys because I wasn't specifically the oldest guy in the band, you know. Um, and like, to be honest with you, you know, people always say, oh, well, those guys aren't punk rock or this isn't punk rock. Or, you know, like punk rockers tend to be the most closed minded people for a uh, music form that should be very open minded. And was always sent to, you know, was based upon, you know, being open-minded. And I've always found the most punk rock artist ever is probably Prince. Yeah. You know? Joe Strummer said to me, punk rock is doing what you want. Go back one second. Say that again. Yeah, Joe Strummer said to me, punk rock is doing what you want. When were you talking to Joe Strummer? 98. Wow. Some friends of mine were on tour with him, the Pie Tasters. They were on tour with Joe and the Mescaleros. And we were backstage. Him and I had a glass cognac together, and I asked him that one question. What is punk rock to you? And he goes, punk is doing whatever you want, mate. And that's the most brilliant thing this yeah. has ever said to me, and it's stuck. You know, and like... So you're good. You can just, you can do whatever for I the rest of your I life. Want. You're fine. <laughs> you fine. talk to Joe Strong. I mean, but that's what it is, you know, and like, somebody tell me he's not punk rock, you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, he didn't try to do anything. He he was more into reggae than he was in a punk. Yeah, he was a hippie beforehand. You know? I mean, weren't really a punk. So, you know? that being said, going and talking with other young kids or whatever, all I was trying to do is like learn. You know, for me it's a learning curve about you learn from these kids cuz like some of them are great. Some of them totally suck and are but they're really nice people, you know? So, it, at some point I got a reputation. I don't know how of being like a guy that you want to have drinks with or party with or whatever. So I will live up to that reputation, but not all the time. You know, I'm not a party animal, but I do like to have a good time. You're a fun, happy guy. Yeah, it's fun. Life is fun. Now, when you were in school, did you go to Warp Tour? Like before you ended up on it? I did once go to Warp Tour in 1997. Ah, yes. Maybe. Because Fishbone was on that tour. Yeah. And And that's why I went. That's why I went. I didn't get to see The Descendants, but I did see Fishbone. 
That was awesome because I got there late. I had no idea what this Warped Tour thing was. We didn't get there till like four in the afternoon. And I'm like, wait, what? Who played when? What? Mm-hmm. And that's when you found out early that you have to get there early. That was the year they, they started more than two stages. And I remember going, this is crap. I'm supposed to see all these bands. Yeah, jeez. Come on, man. Now, I remember we were on the year where there was like 10 stages. 2003, there was like, it was like a dozen stages. And then now, now it's like, Kevin's got it back to like, I think maybe six mm-hmm. or eight. And then, but he lets all these people with tents have PAs and stuff. And no. Oral assaults all day long, just punishing. Yeah. Punishing. It's, it's hard to keep track. So when did you join Lesson Drake? I'm trying to get the chronology. 2000. 2000. Okay. June of 2000. Got it. June 13th. 2000 actually I remember the date when so you know were you in spring hill jack while in school yes okay for s- six years and were they all buddies from berkeley or they were friends from connecticut my friend um we just knew each other from playing gigs but like i was really good friends with chris rhodes who mm-hmm. plays in the Boston's now you know um and he had said to me hey man if you ever get tired of jc super ska come on you can come play with us Totally. I always thought they were right, way professional. And and I, I forget what it was. It was one thing or it led to another and I joined the band. And um, it was fun because I thought they were a tight band and they were cool guys so I could get along with them. And then uh, later on, things kind of fell apart. But And then half the battle when bands start is it's not like it, it, it's musicianship. Yeah, that should be a given. But can we hang? Well, I mean, and that's the whole thing, like 10 years, 12 years now, after we broke up, I still talk to those guys. Like Rhodes, I just hung out with him last night. He's one of my best friends. And those guys I talk to once a week, you know, and a long stretch, maybe once a month. Like I talk to each one of those dudes and, you know, occasionally we get together and do a show. You guys run a major? Um, I don't know what you would call it. It was a subsidiary of Tommy Boy at the time. It was called Ignition Records. And it was a startup label, and they pitched it to us because the two other acts that they had signed at the time were Anthrax and Sam I Am, who we were massive fans of both bands yeah. at the time. So um, we were like, yeah, totally, we're into this. And like, the money was right, the A&R guy was right, they let us record at the Hit Factory in New York, which was in, insane 22 which is, which years old. Which is now old. a Gibson showroom. Yeah, isn't that so sad, man? You've been so sad. Not yet, no. You Beautiful, amazing creations of music yeah. made there. Yeah, and and now it's it's fucking the, they didn't work they there, put out I've been in there. You are freaking me out. Brother is that Sosha. the same record? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, it's, that is such a killer that's record. That's my favorite record. That record by is him. so stupid. So good. And they just put out demos of it. Did you hear that? And people didn't like that record when it came out, too. <sighs> they like they they spit on shit on that record, you know? And well, because like, people wanted clumsy or sore. Well, Sergi, you know? the last time we toured with them beginning of this year, and I told him, I was like, that is up there. You it's know like, what I mean? Like yeah. top. I would say top 20 records, that record, like really influenced me at a good time in my life, you know, so great record. This would be a great segue for Brad to tell us Sam I am touring. Which story. record I didn't hear. You, you are, are freaking, freaking me out. out. Right. That one and Astray, I think, is great for like. Yeah, uh, Astray is a good record. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they're, they're just one band. of those bands that, that I remember oh, so good listening to, to and really? with my Man. friends. We all love them. We'd go see them at the old 930 in DC. And that was one of those moments where I'm like, I, there's a chromosome in me that is missing because I don't understand why this band isn't huge. Did well, I, they're so good, but they're just kind of boring, you know? Like, and I don't mean that in a. In, I, fuck i hope they don't hear this but like they're really really talented and so good and like we, when we just toured with them like every song just fucking right on but they're just boring you know you stand there and that's i mean that's 95 percent of the bands that don't do well live or just they're not because they don't play their instruments well just because they're really fucking boring live they just stand like I... who the hell wants to, like coldplay perfect example 
If I want to hear the fucking record, put the record on. I want to go see the show. If you make a couple of mistakes and stuff, that's yeah. great. That's part of the show. I love it. You know? Like, that's, I don't know. Maybe that's a I'm good comparison. A I mean, it's funny, but it's kind of true. Sam, I am in Coldplay. Yeah, I'm not. <clears throat> trust me. They're not. Except Coldplay, Coldplay could hold on to a drummer. <laughs> but I mean, you know, and as you get older, too, when you're younger, in your 20s, you, or, you know, in your teens, even, you don't, you've kind of this reckless abandon that you don't really fucking care. You know, you'll go up on stage and you'll get shit canned and, you know, break stuff and whatever. And then as you get older, if you continue to achieve success, then I think you start getting paranoid where you're like, well, fuck, how am I going to keep the success? Well, I should probably stop getting wasted, you know? Mm-hmm. And in some respects, yeah, that's a great idea. In other respects, it's probably the worst thing that you could do because those people that are become sober, maybe they were big assholes when they're sober, you know? So I, I always think about those things. So Spring Hill Jack imploded, and as I like to say, due to band shit. Yeah. Just, just band life. stuff, you know? Just life. So yeah. when did, and Less Than Jake, from what I've learned, had gone through a number of woodwind and or yeah. brass folk. It's true. They had like three or four guys that they had gone through in that seven years that they had existed at the time. So was it always Chris, Roger? It was always Chris, Roger. Well, Vinny. even them. Like, it was actually always just Chris and Vinny. Okay. They were the original two and they have this bass player that they ended up kicking out. And Roger joined, who was a guitar player originally. Mm-hmm. But he started playing bass. And then Buddy saw them play, and he's like, hey, man. You know, there was a sax player girl and he, with them. Her name was Jessica. Um, and then Buddy saw him. He's like, hey, man, you need a trombone player. And so he started playing with them and Jessica. And then I think after that, this guy Darren joined. And then Pete, who was in Slapstick, joined like for Hello Rock View era, mm-hmm. you know? And then everybody, all those three people quit, you know, they just, for whatever reason, life, you know? And um, I had, we had a mutual friend in Jake from, uh, the name's Matt Malice. He's playing this band, The Toasters. Oh, yeah. And uh, who took us, uh, who took Spring Hill out on our first tour and ended up being tour manager with four less than Jake and they lost their sax player, long story. And they called me and I said, yes, I'll come play with your band. So and, I went and, and tried out. Here I am. Had you been doing anything else? I was student teaching. Oh, okay. And actually, that's why I quit Spring Hill Jack at that time, because I was student teaching, and I was just about to get my degree. And uh, I got a phone call from one of the members, and he's like, you don't make, this band isn't your priority. And I'm like, dude, just hang on for, give me two months, and I'm going to be done with this. Like, Mm -hmm. graduated degree, done. Then I don't ever have to fucking, then I could concentrate on the band. You're not making the band a priority. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I quit. And then that was it. You know, and then like about a month later, I got a call from Vinny saying, do you want to try out? And I was like, well, send me some records because I didn't really know any of the material. And then I said, uh, I don't want to play in your band. Not to him, but like, I think I said it to my brother. I was like, I don't want to play in this band. He's like, what are you fucking crazy? I'll never forget the conversation. He's like, you're out of your mind. And I'm like, I just, you know, I think I want to teach. I think I'm ready to do this because I really enjoyed, I did. I really enjoyed teaching, you know, and uh, here I am talking to you. 13 years later. The so big I, time. I don't know if I made the right decision, but it was a decision nonetheless. You know, when you realize here. you're sitting talking to a podcast that has literally dozens of listeners. <laughs> the you, dozens and dozens the right of choice. listeners. Yeah. So did you move to Florida? No. Okay. I've always stayed in Connecticut. I okay. do go back and forth to Gainesville a lot. I probably am there half of the year, you know, and I have been for like the last decade. Um, but it's cool. It kind of gives me uh, two homes, two homestead. Even though I don't own a home down there, but, you know, it's still cool. So, it's when, nice. so when you graduated, you, you finished your degree, do that, and you're, mm-hmm. and you're now in less than Jake. Yes. 
the the back catalog of that band mm-hmm. there's a lot of damn songs yeah and they tend and i've seen you play live a number of times all of them yes a lot of tunes yeah mm-hmm. uh as, as as was that something that you looked at it with trepidation or when i got the <laughs> when i first got the package of cds from Vinny, there was a note i have the note somewhere and it said pete here's the cds learn some tunes Vinny. no list no group of songs and there was fucking five records at the time, you know? And I was like, I don't even know where to start, you know? <laughs> I put in the first record, which was Pezcore. This was at the beginning of the internet, like really when the internet was starting to become a thing. So I went and I looked online to see which record came out first, second, you know? After I waited 20 minutes for the page to load, I found <laughs> out that it was Pezcore and then Losing Streak and whatever. So I put in Pezcore first and I got through the first... 30 seconds and i was like i can't do this i was like i just can't it's too punk rock for me you know like at the time you know but it was recorded poorly Mm -hmm. to that particular record i mean they recorded it in two days you know what i mean like so um then i put in hill of rock view and i found that record to be really good you know sounded good songs were really good then when you learn the stories behind everything you know from just time of being in there then you learn you know stories of how things were rearranged and blah 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 but anyways that was the record that i was like oh i could totally get down with this like yeah this is cool so that was it when did you stop feeling like the new guy Um, (laughs) i don't know you know i don't i think maybe it's about five or six years in you know i think after now that if you take the other three members former members of less than jake that were horn players and you take all the time that they individually spent in the band and you added it all up together it doesn't even come close to the the half the time that i've been in this band seriously so i've been in i feel like i've a member i feel like i've been a member for a long time and i think maybe when the you know they said to me something along those lines like you're you know just know that you're I had to ring. hear it verbalized. They give you your bracelet. Or- yeah, they gave me a bracelet. <laughs> there was a ceremony. Um, there was some elks involved, I think. Maybe I, the I got one of Roger's dreads. Yeah, I wear it around my neck. You just you can't see it. I keep it lower. That yeah. dude's dreads, man. Yeah, it smells like shit, those things. I, I don't have a lousy sense of smell, so I'm going to have to take that on faith from you. You know what's awesome? They are huge. Oh, they're skin. They get so natty, and we tell them to cut them all the time. And he just had a son, you know, and he's always... Simon's always grabbing at him, and I'm just like, someday you're going to cut those things off, and you're going to look like an old man. <laughs> we always joke at <laughs> <with> him, <laughs> and he's like, "No, I'm never cutting them off, never cutting them off." So, his and Simon's hair was starting to curl up, and I go, "Oh, his dreads are coming in nicely." <laughs> you know, that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> My band uh, toured Europe with Army of Punch. Oh yeah, so yeah, I, man, Jack I, Bailey, yes, good Jack dude. Bailey, Gee. was Gee? Yeah, Gee, it was Gee Geis and this kid Danny played drums. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course. And then we did some stuff with Rehasher too. But um, yeah, I love those dudes. That's a, Rehasher's a good band. Yeah, really good. Gee is amazing. Geis is amazing. Those guys, like Ponch, was a great band. So I really good. Like I used to get, watch them every night, and they would just blow my mind. Yeah, how great just couldn't they were. keep it together though. You know, know what I mean? It's like sometimes in Gainesville specifically, people drink until they are blacked out. Not till they're drunk. Like, and I've never seen anything. It's an anomaly like that anywhere in the world. They drink Maybe so they much realize they're in there. Florida. They're stuck in Gainesville. Well, and it's so cheap. It's, it's the only place you can still get drunk for 10 bucks. Yeah. 
Go out to the bar and get drunk for 10 bucks. I'm talking. Yeah. Because he... they sell buck 50 talls. Right. You know what I mean? And nobody leaves more than 50 cent tips for those poor bartenders right. down there. So You need more than $10 to get a beer in Brooklyn. Uh, you can't even get in the door for 10 bucks in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Like down there, honest to God, $10 you can get wasted. It's great. It's great. <laughs> it's great. I don't drink that much anymore because that the stuff that they sell you to get drunk for $10 doesn't agree with me so much. But Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, PBR used to be great. <laughs> oh God, <clears throat> I hated that beer for years, and then had one a little while ago, and I was like, I I remember this worse than I thought it was. This is fantastic. Yeah, it tastes like aluminum. Uh, the best things do. Mm. Uh, I think I saw you after you got your first tattoo. Yes, yes, perhaps. Yeah, which is Mr. Milo Ackerman. Yeah, that was a good one. It was a yeah. good first day. But you do have. And I've told this to many people, one of my all-time favorite tattoos that someone ever got. Which one? It's on your calf. <laughs> oh, the Godzilla. Yeah. yeah. It's not just Godzilla. Godzilla thinking about sushi. <laughs> it's a true story. I got it in Japan. That was the best thing because I talked to a friend. I was back when AOL Instant Messenger was a big deal. I was talking to a friend of mine. She lived in Australia. And I'm like, I'm going to get a tattoo in Osaka. And I'm like... What should I get it of? And she's like, Godzilla, thinking about sushi. Um, <laughs> and I said, that is brilliant, and I'm going to do it. So when I went in to tell the guy, like, we didn't go into like, 2 in the morning or whatever to get this done. And I had our interpreter tell the guy, he didn't speak any English. And I'm like, tell him I want Godzilla's head thinking with, like, a, a cartoon bubble thinking about sushi. And the tattoo artist, like, doubled over. He laughed so hard. He's like, <laughs> really? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's what I want. And he's like, I don't mean to be disrespectful, you know, via my interpreter. He's like, I didn't mean to, mean to be disrespectful, but, you know, this is usually when people come in here, they want, like, some kind of, like, Yakuza gangster right. tattoo or whatever. And he goes, it's, that's really cool. I'm really excited to do it. And he had a Godzilla statue, and he holds it, goes, like this? And I'm like, yeah, and he freehand drew this and it's the best tattoo i have by far <laughs> i mean you'd be disrespectful but periodically godzilla comes in and destroys our towns yeah i was it ups, it's very <laughs> upsetting yeah i know I, I was like sorry about what he does um <laughs> didn't you know i pr i won't step on any buildings i'm sorry <laughs> never seen him eat sushi see and i wanted to get it this with his laser eyes someday i when i go back there i will get it built up where his body's here and i wanted the whole cityscape getting destroyed nice. but he's destroying it and then over here would be like the sushi palace and he's just destroying the city because he wants to get to the sushi palace. That is a great It'll idea. There. It'll get there. Somewhere. For a, a, a pant leg, <laughs> they call it when it's on your... Yeah, I have this whole life thing ahead of me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start working on it. <laughs> I don't know when, but we'll get there. Okay, let's talk about that with Less Than Jake. Because I, you, Less Than Jake, one, your fan base is bonkers. Yeah, crazy. And I've been to numerous shows, all different kinds of venues. They always sell out. We, we, I remember uh, Trish and I went to see you guys, Goldfinger, and who was the other damn band at Roseland? Maybe it was Big D or somebody like that. I don't yeah, know. I don't know, but I remember we walked in and there was Goldfinger playing and I was like, oh shit, it's 93. You know, it's like, it's yeah. happening all over again. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. 98, I yeah. guess. Uh, uh, no, Goldfinger? Be 96. 98, 97. Because uh, I saw Goldfinger... Uh, blah, yeah, just after the Electric Love Hogs broke up, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're walking in, I was like, this is... Wow, where are we? This is happening. Yeah. And then you guys came out, and um, I don't know if this was the show with the Wheel of Fortune wheel. Oh, no, no, the Price that was, is Right one. Yeah, the Price is Right one was with Real Big Fish. That, okay. was, uh, that was an undertaking, for sure. We did a Price is Right-themed tour. 
and we brought like plink. We made our own plinko board. And we made the big wheel and had people come up and contestants, and it was actually fun. But was, you guys did one of the greatest and biggest, one of the coolest, but also biggest fuck yous I've ever seen happen to it fans. It was so awesome. You put the Price Is Right wheel. Oh yeah. Uh, for the um, the showcase showdown, uh, and Chris, who's a, actually a great TV host, yeah, Bob Boner, yeah, what we were calling him. <laughs> oh, Fuse used to drag him into stuff all the time. Yeah, they wouldn't pay you, Chris. That's why they did it. But he's yeah. also really, really solid. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and my wife would put less than Jake on VH1 for years. Well, he's funny. He's yeah, a, he's actually he's an honestly. Yeah. Everybody in my band is honestly they're funny people. They're you know. It's hard to get a word in so you'd bring a lot of times. from the crowd up and you would spin this wheel and it had all the records, right? Yeah. All the records that we had. All the records. And the night we saw it, it hit the latest record. Yeah, in with the out crowd. Well, that was the latest record at the time. And boy, people were pissed. But that's the it was the, the luck of the draw because you never knew what it was going to hit. But then you'd play the whole damn record all the way through. <laughs> yeah, they were pissed. It was awesome. <laughs> but I mean, like... Look, uh, if you <laughs> do what your fans always want you to do, like if wrestling has taught me nothing, is it don't always do what your fans want you to do because whether they love it or they hate it, at least they're paying attention. You know what I mean? Like you're getting a reaction. And that's what we're looking for a lot of times. We're just looking for a reaction. Like I, You did a heel turn on stage. Oh, yeah, right there. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, you don't like it? Go fuck yourselves. You know, and you just yell at people and it doesn't well, matter. They have people to come, back, come back, back next time to see the But they'll come back, the you know, and I mean, like, <laughs> they know that we don't mean it. They know that we're not um, vicious about our attacking of them. You know, Chris calls people, you know, with bad, brings people with bad haircuts up all the time. And I mean, the guy's got a lesbian mohawk, let's be honest, you know, it's True. a pot calling the kettle black, you know, <laughs> so, you know, we just. It, it is what it is. You know, It's that's who we are. We're not going to really be anything different. The kids ever. with bad haircuts thing. This brings me up to another story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, at a Bamboozle episode. An episode of Bamboozle? Yeah, because it's, it's always annually. Yeah, it's always an episode. And I was interviewing some band. I can't remember. I want to see what maybe it might have been the audition or something. And we're in New Jersey where the Bamboozle is. And a cop walks by. <laughs> this cop with this like really like like stereotypical cop mustache goes a bunch of stupid haircuts <laughs> i was like what a dick <laughs> and then we're in then we have to go interview less than jake and they're like well less than jake wants to be interviewed on their tour bus i'm like oh whatever we love those guys do whatever they want we go on the tour bus and they're seated in the tour bus all dressed as new jersey cops was yeah. less than jake and every single one of them had mustaches yeah. And Chris was the guy who had walked by the interview. <laughs> so what a dick. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Well, we do this thing called, for Cinco de Mustache, is it? You know, Cinco de Mayo, but we call it Cinco de Mustache. And we say everybody should grow a mustache for it. So we were growing our mustaches. And when we were doing, the re- doing a record in Chicago, we were like, how are we going to do this bamboozle thing and make it awesome? Because, dude, bamboozle kind of sucks. It really, I mean, like from a fan perspective, it's fun, I suppose, you know, but from an artist perspective, from my perspective, like we just did it this past year, it was fun show, but it's very disorganized and it's just whatever. However, John D was always a huge supporter of our band um, and Andrew Ellis as well. And those were the dudes that were doing it at the time. So um, we're like, what are we going to do? We want to do something awesome. So we went and found a police officer supply store 
We went, spent hundreds of dollars on these outfits. We all got fucking fitted and like the whole thing. Like we showed up and they like hemmed the pants. I have a photo good. somewhere. We got, we have name tags made up with our names on it and the badges. Like we, hundreds of dollars on this thing. And my, one of my best friends is a cop in the city and he got me the New York City badges oh, for the side. Shit. You can't get those. You know what I mean? Like you're not supposed to be able to generally. And so we're cruising around. Dressed as fucking cops. Oh my no God. one even looks at us. Cross-eyed. We're walking everywhere, right? Fucking dressed as cops. We get up on stage and we come out to bad boys. You know, bad boys, bad boys. We all walk out. <laughs> my cousin, my other cousin, not the one that owns the donuts here, but he's a Fryhofer distributor. And I called him and I said, I need some donuts. Because for what? I'm like, I'm going to throw them off stage. He's like, how many need? I'm like, 20 dozen. So he gave us 20 dozen donuts. <laughs> We're dressed up as cops. <laughs> and we just, at some point, we just grab the 20 dozen. And I'm fucking pegging people in the head with donuts and throwing them up in the air, like full boxes. People are losing their minds. Oh, They're just, yeah. and I mean, because people, we were like, people take this shit so, some of those kids take this shit so seriously, man. You know, and it's just like, that was just our fuck you, you know? <laughs> I think our whole career is based on fuck you, pretty much. So. Yeah, but then you put on a really good live show. And I come as someone who, you know, went through what I call my ska phase. Mm. Uh, where I was like, I'll go You're see a harsh you. critic, too. So I take your I take your opinion. It's a nice way of saying dick. But well, I, no, I, I mean, you know it. what I mean? Like, you're, you're honest. You're honest about your criticism. So I, think I appreciate that. I've said to many bands, you need to change your name. Sadly, during interviews. Yeah. <laughs> never ended well. I yeah. love watching Steve interview people when... You can tell he doesn't like the band because it's like you have this body language thing you'll do. It's so funny. Yeah. Like you can totally tell. I'll be like, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, you're being, it's being punished. You're so just being so, punished. No, it's like it's the worst. It's, it's so unprofessional. I'm supposed to be objective and be able to sit there. No, and go, I think, oh, that's good. I think and most it, people couldn't tell. I feel like if you see it enough. Back there going, God, you guys are loathsome. You have a record. <laughs> well, deal? you know what else is the worst part is like a lot of times you see bands like I would go to press at Warp Tour and I would go into the fucking arena or whatever they have the group home that they'd have all these kids and there are these you know bands getting interviewed and the questions are like you know so tell me about uh your new record and then the guy would just be like um well we recorded it with neil avron <laughs> and yeah we're really pleased it's really mature yeah I think it's our best record. It's your first just record. So it's true. fucking boring. It's Again, it's just like if you want to, you know, how people always go, how do you how have you guys been around for so long? Don't be boring. You know, whatever. And I I can't remember who said that. Maybe it was somebody said we must never be boring. I think it was Chuck Pol Polakchnuk, the guy who wrote a uh, Fight Club. Yes. It's like we must, you know, never be boring <laughs> in life. Like life is, you know, too short to be boring. Yeah, you must never be boring. And like I think that's a lot of these people are also afraid that they're going to offend somebody. I used to be that way when I was younger. I was afraid, oh God, if I say the wrong thing, we're not going to get on this tour or that tour. Now fuck everybody. Seriously, <laughs> that could suck my dick. This comes Honest from a God. man who had Fat Mike cut his hair off on yeah, stage well, I during mean, a I, show. The one thing that Did Mike... you see that? No. He, Pete used happened. to have super long You were hair. there for that too. I was there for that's that. Right. And Mike, would be. he was relentless. Yeah. Like, you stupid hippie haircut. And so finally went, okay, fine. And you let him come up on stage while they were playing and Fat Mike cut his hair. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's when him and I became like really, I mean, we were always friends. But that's, Mike and I became really good friends. But he's that, 
same kind of person where he doesn't really hold back what he thinks. He just says what he, and I've always respected that about him. He says what he feels, whether you agree with it or not, but he's still a good guy. You know what I mean? Like he'll still be like, he'll be like, yeah, I don't like your band, but you want to have a beer? Yeah. You know, no, I won't listen to your record, but (laughs) we could have a beer, you know? So, and I, I, he's never been afraid to do that. And I think that's part of the reason that they've been successful. But, you know, I think too, that if you're a kiss ass, Nobody likes kiss ass, man. No. You know what I mean? Oh, I really love your record. No, you don't. You fucking liar. You know, don't lie about you it. You know what's cool about what you would do is that the Warp Tour press was a lot of kids yeah. with cameras. Yep. And you guys would do it all. We would do everything. You I know? didn't care who it was. But that was. And I, any of those younger bands that were pretentious to these young kids with cameras, I just wanted to walk in there with a bat. Yep. And take them out because that's not cool because these are your fans who are just doing their own little. You know, the new zine is a website. Yeah. You know, and be. Exactly. You know, it's like, yes, you know, it's like you're saying, you know, you can speak your mind and whatever, but, you know, don't be a douchebag. Well, you don't have to be a douchebag about it. I mean, like, you should be stoked that these people want to interview you. And that's what I say. Like, I'm just stoked that people want to talk about, talk to me about my band after this long, you know. And, like, if you're so important or self-important now that you don't have time to talk to these people, I think that if you are offered this life, because there's tons of people that want this life. You know, and if you are offered this life and you want to continue to live and do this and be in a band, then you have to do things that you don't want. This is a job. It is. It's like any other job, you know, and like, unfortunately, I used to always say I didn't want to call it a job because blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's that old Confucius saying, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I love what I do. And yeah, it's work. And sometimes I would rather be anywhere then in the middle of a field in fucking Germany playing in front of Germans you know, Germans or Austrians, whatever, whoever shows up. Um, Prussians. But I mean, it's, you know, we're, I'm very lucky, very lucky. We're very lucky as a group to be able to do this. But you made so. it. Well, you're expected. I mean, the thing is you're expected to be the eternal 14-year-old little bratty douchebag. And the people that last forever and that do really well at this, they know that that's an act. Yeah, and they're they, not. They can play the act and they do a great job at it. But you know what? Yeah. I've been with those people. They fucking work hard and they take those little interviews and they f- treat everybody with respect. You have to treat everybody the same. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Henry Rollins said that. Like the guys who set up the stage should mm-hmm. get paid what the artists get paid and should get that kind of respect and my parents always told me you respect you treat everybody the same like doesn't matter what they do what their job is who they are what walk of life treat everybody the same because then good things will happen you know and that's true i i've always kept that and i've always tried to do that so that's when you ask me about talking to younger bands that's why i say always because you never know who's going to be the next fallout boy like fallout boy but i think it's impressive to be able to relate to like a 15 year because i remember i did a cover store on no effects mm-hmm. for alternative press and mike was like dude if you're 15 years old like you have nothing interesting to say to me which it's like that's mike like obviously that's how he feels but i feel like it is hard like there is a big gap there is in development and that kind of stuff like i think it's cool that you can sort of interact with those people and sort of not be like oh I'm, what's this person gonna say well, probably yeah, but- something to do that he's student taught and went to yeah. school for education and that's yeah, part totally of it, you know? totally that's actually exactly part of it. and i you know i always thought that if i didn't do music i probably would have gotten into child psychology you know or been a psychologist or something because that is more important to being in a band than f- anything is like being able to understand why people do the things that they do and how they react like they react and looking being able to step back from yourself and go oh well this is why this is crazy so this guy's just crazy so 
I should just hang out for a minute and everything will kind of mellow itself. People get so worked up over nothing all the time to be in a band, you know? And then when you're young, especially when you're young, you freak out, you know, because like, oh, well, it's not going my way. And I managed bands for a while too, mm-hmm. you know, and like that you, was the one you thing. Do these green eyes? You really need yeah. to be a psychiatrist. Yeah, and that's when you really like, I gave that up because just people are f- like, because again, I think a lot of times you, people get caught up and when you're young, you have these crazy expectations and then you, when you realize what life really is, you get really pissed, you know? Do you remember before you knew what bills were or rent was or a mortgage was and then when you found out that life isn't all fucking cake and candy you were pissed you know and it changes you as a person it cha- and especially like music because you think you're living your dream and then you realize it's a fucking nightmare you know i mean you said it somebody smart said you know being in a band is you know uh it's like a great hour of your day it's the other 23, 23. it's true and i think that a lot of you know i never thought that i would be here doing this this long either and i think talking to a 15 year old and letting them know i wish when i was 15 that somebody talked to me and said things that i've said to 15 year olds now like do you remember being 15 and just thinking that the world was the worst place ever and it was never going to be better and you're just sad and it's never going to be better and like i wish somebody would have said to me dude it's going to be okay you know, and that's what it's I gonna try to do. It's going to be way better yeah, than when you're 15. It gets way yeah. better, you know? <laughs> and like, you see all these young kids that, you know, they cut themselves and they, like, that really bothers me. You know, that kind of shit really bothers that's a me. Very, that's a very sexist you know, thing. The kids cut themselves, the mostly, kids. Mostly, I mean, not like it's a very sexist condition. Most yeah. of the women do that. I saw that one. Yeah, that, you know, got, you know, the teen suicide rate. You know, I look at these things and I'm just like, fuck, you know? And now, living now, it just has to be so much... It's got to be exciting to be 15 in 2012, but it also has to be, like, a bombardment of visual and audio and at 100 miles an hour and in the palm of your hand. You know what I mean? Like, because there's so many things that are pulling you so many different ways. Yeah, but it's not a bombardment to them because that's all they know. But yeah, exactly. But that's got to, like, developmentally, like, rewire you for social. You're so used to not talking to people like this like talking like this yeah that is true I mean, it is got to change this... the dynamic and how you relate to people and it, i don't know kids my, are more comfortable texting than yeah, they are my talking little, my Dude, little what about the thumb you know the thumb generation do you know about this no that kids now they like ring the doorbell with their thumb because they're stuff used to, like that yeah, yeah instead this. of their index finger this has been observed wow in, in studies yeah. well because it, it, your thumb <laughs> has now become the more um maybe it's just a large family of hitchhikers could be <laughs> that's a different generation oh damn it yeah. <laughs> well, like i said i, I don't want to turn it into a psychological you know discussion about it's like, happened kids. before yeah let's but, do I mean, it this is i mean this is what it is though and like kids are so susceptible especially to what their peers think that you know why is blood on the dance floor so popular is it because they're really good or is it because a lot of kids really like it? You know, I don't know. I, I don't have an opinion one way or the other of them I, and I'm not picking on them. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, why is a band like Black Veil Brides so popular? You know, I like the Black Veil Brides. And if I was 15 years old again, I would like the Black Veil Brides. Because they're Kiss are their grandfathers and they mm-hmm. need that band. But they didn't have that band. That's what I'm saying. You know they what I mean? This band. So Motley yeah. Crue did it. <clears throat> yep, did it. it. And now, you want yeah. a band who paints their face so you can go, oh crap, they and paint dude, their face. You know what? Yeah. I was the first one to go, fuck these guys. You know? And then I went to go watch them on Warp Tour and I was like, fuck, I like them. <laughs> like, this is, and they're good. They're really good at what they do. You know? It's like, if you like, met, like pop metal or whatever, cock rock as I used to call it, mm. 
you're going to like the Black Veil Brides. You, you, should, you should like them, you know. Um, but why are they so popular amongst kids? I don't, you know why it is? Because they're giving them something to believe in and something to hold on to that's theirs. And but that's we'll, why we all like the bands that we liked when we were kids because it was something that we believed in, something that we loved. But will these kind of bands have a longevity that say who less, cares? Th- less than – Well, it's not the, well, the – I guess it's who cares for from a psychological standpoint of someone in a band who wants to – On an industry standpoint you're talking about? No, no I'm just saying for a longevity standpoint because mm. less than Jake, you guys – forewent the industry yeah but it was also we did what we wanted to do you yeah. know and even when we were signed to major labels we were doing things that you're not supposed to do mm-hmm. you know so it's uh each person is in their own band and each person in their band if you're in a band if the group of people that you're with if you guys aren't on the same page about what your goal goals are not long term, short term, just like how are we get into the gig tomorrow. You know, if you guys are on the same page about that stuff, you won't get past this year. Mm-hmm. You, won't, you might not get past this month, you know, and I think most um, people between the ages of 18 and 25, which tends to be the age most people are in bands, um, they don't give a shit. They don't look beyond next week, let alone next month. They don't think forward that way. You know what I mean? And they, it's easier to look left and right than try to look down the street. You know, do you think that because you were in a band that broke up helped you be in a band that was sort of established? Like you, you went through that so you knew what mistakes not to make. No, because we made a lot of mistakes in Jake too. When mm-hmm. I joined, after I joined, like you make mistakes, and I think that that's it. It's like people look at mistakes as failures. It's not failures unless you don't learn anything from it. You know, if you make a mistake, you're learning. You know, like, oh, well, fuck that one up. So don't do it again. <laughs> the definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. You know what I mean? So I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, because I, I know that if I fuck up on something once, you're going to you, you try to fix it. Adjust. You know, life's like a baseball game. It's a series of adjustments. You I know? don't understand sports metaphor. Yeah. See, that's the whole thing is I also I try to look, look sports music. I try to like encompass it all. You know, and like there's certain things I don't like, but, you know, there's a it's funny what those little things will teach you, you know. See, with bands and comic books, I just don't have room in my head. for Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. (laughs) I look at it. The the sports thing, it's more like for a team, the team side of things, because if you're in a band, you're part of a team. If you're in a if you're like a solo act like a Justin Bieber or something like that, like you're still part of a team. But you just don't realize you're you're more like. You know, Tiger Woods, you're more like the golfer, you know, yeah. you're, you're the guy who's really calling all the shots, and paying all the bills. So it's a little different. But when he lost his caddy, things changed. Yeah, man. That caddy wrote that book and it yeah. was over. It was over. See ya. Yeah. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter how many porn stars you fucked. Yeah. Or does it? Man, I loved seeing that paper, <laughs> that front page or back page of the, the daily news or whatever, the, all the broads that he slept with. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all had the same reaction, which was. That guy? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> no, that totally guy? Right. I'm like, ew, look at her. You know what I mean? Like, gosh, she's gross. <laughs> he fucked her? God. Also, yeah, like... How talk, drunk was he? And ha- Tiger talk would about, do anyone. Talk about following comic books and sports. Like, try to have, like, seven affairs at once while you're married. Like, that seems like way too much work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you're texting. And yeah. You're, oh, dude. Like, but his wife was a total babe, yeah, too. Yeah, totally. You know? And I'm just like... That's what I don't understand. I love that she went after him with her own golf club. That's with the, the golf best clubs, thing. though. If yeah. you had to analyze Tiger Woods, what would you say um, about him? Yeah, do you but think he's... it was just like a 
like a risk thing or like some kind of he knew he was Tiger Woods and he could bang all these girls. He was going to do it till he got caught. And I think after you get to a certain level, you'll do things to see how far you can go. You know, I mean, I did. I have, you know, well, not that I was ever superstar level or whatever. But like as soon as you get as soon as you get away with one thing, you know, like I can get away. Can I get away with this? Can I get away with this? That's shoplifter you know? mentality. Yeah. It becomes, yeah, it becomes a goal in itself. You yeah. Know, like how far can you go? Yeah. I stole a CD. Now I'm going to try and steal a bow and arrow. Yeah, man. Last night I had three pieces of pizza. I was like, one, two, how far can I take this? Yeah, can nice I take the work. whole pieces? You yeah. could do a whole one because you weigh 80 pounds. <laughs> yeah. I would take that pizza and roll it up like a uh, burrito. Just <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now, now that's then I guess all I want to do right then I, now. Then I guess it would be good. a calzone, though, probably. right? No, mm. it's a pizzerito. Oh, pizzerito. Now we will be millions. Holy. Is that an urban dictionary yet? Let's go. I'm, I'm putting it on Best now. pizza in Connecticut. I know New Haven is a big... Peppies, it's pretty good. But I'll tell you, there's Connecticut-style pizza is a little bit different than New York, thin because it's just thinner. That's the only difference. And there's other places that it's do it. It's thinner, thinner in Connecticut? Than you can get it here, yeah. So it's, it's paper? Pretty much. Like, you, if you order a large pizza, you, I could eat half a large pizza myself. Like, it, down here, you get two slices, and you're like, that's enough. So if you you're know? from Connecticut and you go to Chicago, you're just horrified. It's like one piece out there, man. Like, what? But those things are good, you know? How do they do this? I used to have this rule that I wouldn't eat pizza anywhere west of Philadelphia or south of D.C. It's a good rule. That's a good rule. Yeah, north good of rule. Boston. Not that we really go into Maine that often or go to New Hampshire. But... I don't know. I had some pretty good pizza in Germany. But it's different now. This was years ago, you know? But now it's different. You can really get great pizza anywhere. You just have to get the Yelp app. And it will tell you where to go. Hmm. That internet. Yeah, the internet is a wonderful thing. It's really been, it's made life easy. You don't even have to think anymore. That, and that's the, that's the, there's been many jokes about this, but, you know, kids don't need to think. So they can just be like, well, let me look at it real quick. Well, yeah, now see, I know the answer. I'm the only person left in the world that owns a Blackberry. Yeah, you um, are. You're, so. the, you're the one. Yeah, I'm it. I'm, I am Rim Industries. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> To be honest with you, I, the only reason I haven't gotten rid of it is because I signed in for a two-year plan, and I'm just not going to pay the company. And not just a BlackBerry, but th those are actual physical buttons on the machine. Yeah, dude. And they're all, if you look, they're all worn away, so I don't know what letters I'm touching um, half the time. So just kind of going with it. <laughs> yeah. Story of my life. Because I just don't care enough, you know. Like I, <laughs> when it's I was a man, like when I was managing bands, I cared so much. I was like, I have to answer these people. I have to make these phone calls. And then I stopped managing, and I was just like... Eh, fuck it. You know, I'm actually going to get a flip phone when I am done with this thing. I'm yes, not getting you an iPhone. A I'm star not tag. You might have to go into the past to get that, though. You no, they still that. sell them. Do they? they still sell them. My mom, she has one. She has a phone that you can't text on. Actually, That's I don't know. Awesome. She's over. If you're over 65, you should not be texting anywhere or ever. on a phone ever, ever. Phone. Just saying. My first phone was a flip phone. It was awesome. It's a blue scene. Yeah, it always phone. worked. Right? Yeah. It was a yeah. blue semen phone. You know this? That's yeah. true. It always worked. And that's all I really want. I have an iPad. Yeah. I, yeah, you know, it worked I in the ocean. Switched over, got to an, a, a Mac guy, but I just this fuck you know, we don't really pisses me off. Five million iPhones were sold. Five million iPhone fives. Right. At seven hundred and forty nine dollars a clip. Fuck you. What recession? Because apparently everybody has all this money to spend on these, like $800, $749.99 plus tax. 
That's a lot of money. Plus they, apps. Plus 100 bucks a month. Yeah, before it, minimum 100 bucks. Yeah. Fuck you. Before Fuck it was you. released. I don't want to hear anybody's bitching and moaning about, oh, I can't afford to pay my bills. The Fuck week you. before it was released, they uh, were saying that they, they were anticipating that it would uh, affect the economy, the release of the phone. You know what's in awesome, a positive though? positive way. But you know what's awesome? That, it, that, you could, that you'd be able to see it. Friday, Apple shares went up over $700. Today, everything's down around 680 It's gone down. They've dropped. Oh, really? I would have sold. If I had Apple share, I would. it's never going to be higher than it was Friday. Like, it's never going to be over $700. Yeah, you're probably right. That's it. Steve Jobs is dead. What what other what? guy is going to come up with these things? You <laughs> yeah, know? totally. Seriously, like that's it. If I had Apple share, I, Apple stock, once it hit seven hundred bucks, like sold, take it all. Someone's going to someone's going to figure it out. They just have to know where to find that person, and they're not in that technological vein. They are in video yeah. games or comics. Something will happen. It always. I mean, it always keep, does. Keep keep an eye on the MakerBot people. That's where the shit's going. The three D printer folk. Well, yeah, yeah, that stuff's yeah. really cool. That's where. That that's where it's going to end up being. I wanted to get Vinny one of those for Christmas. Really? You can yeah. afford them I think now. that's a really. They're not that expensive, yeah. really. They're like a couple, maybe a thousand. Yeah, nine hundred bucks, something like that. That's and probably cool. Chinese sweatshop workers aren't killing themselves making those. Well, yeah, there was a riot. We don't know why yeah, there was riots riot started. There. Yeah, there was a riot at one of those iPhone plants. Dude, it's someone's going to leak some footage or something. Something's going to come out, and people are just going to. Dude, they made those people work like slaves. Yeah, no they live care. in the factory. To I, build those. I hope everybody I loves their iPhones that the slaves in China built for you. I mean, I think everyone knows. Everyone already sort of knows, but I feel like well, it's Americans, like watching one of those PETA videos or something. Like Americans are very good at being ignorant. Yeah, We're the that's best true. At it. That's We're the true. best at it's it. The, why should it be any different? And I'm not supporting it. I think it's all crap. But why should it be any different for the clothes you're wearing? You know what I mean? The, no, totally. No, totally. I agree. Or the cars you're driving. I'm not saying... Usually totally. the, the clothes that you're wearing, though, aren't making people you know stay up for 48 hours at a time well, that's because they're children demand the clothes and they can stay awake <laughs> longer yeah those little kids they're allowed to stay up a little bit longer they have a little bit more energy i can't wait to have kids so i can make them do slave labor yeah it's gonna what be great exactly yeah. right Build an army of slaves not working out too well for me folks my so friend jay, you know no. jay for, that sings for the suicide machines he i've has, never met him but i love that band he has six kids and i'm like what are you doing and he's like creating an army bro <laughs> One of my favorite people, Jr. Pete Wazalewski from Less Than Jake. Literally one of my favorite people. And if you talk to people who've met Pete, they will say the same thing. Very cool dude to talk to. I hope you guys dug that. Um, Jonah, you're heading out to watch uh, more Bar Rescue? Or I'm going to watch so much Bar Rescue. Um, <laughs> Do you watch that restaurant show on Food Network? With a guy at restaurant, re- not restaurant rescue, but Restaurant Impossible. No. Check that one out. I have like a really weird, I just get obsessed with like one reality show for a while and then don't watch anything else. Hmm. I, I don't really watch that much TV, but for some reason these, like the basis TV, sometimes it'll like click with me. Oh, I did that. I was sick and I was on the couch and have a lot of channels, but um, Tabitha's Salon Makeover was on and I watched like four episodes in a row. Yeah. I didn't have- I have no reason nor <laughs> interest in any of that. Yeah, I didn't have cable for so long, and now we have it, and my roommate, she's really into these Bravo shows, and it's such a slippery slope, man. Oh, and yeah. it's a sad slope <laughs> filled with just the worst stuff ever. Oh, I know. <laughs> and I'm trying to hold on, and it's like I'm being pulled, and it's mm-hmm. I'm like, I have a book I want to read, A Room Away. <laughs> yeah. I have to get over there. <laughs> but watch what but happens pe- now is on. I know, it feels uh, so far away. It's like, you know... 
my wife always falls asleep. We'll put on a movie, and she always invariably falls asleep. But the only time she never falls asleep, the only movies she never falls asleep during are really, really bad ones. It's really? so weird because it's almost like she's just waiting to see what's going to happen next. Or scary movies. How bad could this be? See, I can't. But they put on a great film that we've both been waiting to watch for months, and she'll she's out. She's out in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> do you finish it, or do you wait and finish it later with I her? always finish it. See? That's good. <laughs> I back that. That's a problem. Completely back <laughs> Uh, again, if you want to hit us up on the website and uh, throw some, as Mark Marin would say, shekels our way, that would be great. We have a little donate button there if you like what you are hearing. Also, if you want to talk about what you like, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash going off track. We read it, although I do find that graph that shows your reach very demeaning. Yeah, I agree. And also, email us a listen at what your favorite premium cocktail is. Yes, please. Oh, yeah. And the next podcast, we will drink all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.